This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay reviewed Juice by Send No Flowers. Because their verses are usually not strong enough to hold your attention that long. If you're going to write an eight-minute long song, for God's sakes, throw a yeah. solo in there. They go into Alice in Chains on plug mode. If that's the case, just start with the chorus and go from there. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again... My co-host, Jason Ziak. Jay, can you hear that sound in the air? Do you hear what I'm hearing? It is the sound of football. Now, as as we record this, it's two weeks away, but when this episode goes up, it will be the sound of the first week of the NFL and no doubt we will be both basking in the glow of dominating victories for our respective teams. No doubt. But I think we should do right now is make predictions. What will be the Browns' record this season? Ooh, um, I've been saying this for the last, I think, three seasons, and they still haven't done this good, which is pathetic. I'm going to predict six wins. You are a dreamer. That that is complete. That is so optimistic, but that's where I'm at. You are a dreamer, and I love it that you dream big. (laughs) Uh, As a big six wins, six wins. As a Bills fan, I have reason to be irrationally uh, optimistic because they signed Mario Williams. They drafted a really good corner in Stephen Gilmore or Stefan Gilmore, however you pronounce his name. However, <laughs> I am a Bills fan. Yeah. So logically, yep. I think that what will happen is they'll go eight and eight and won't make the playoffs. They'll basically they'll lose it out on a wild card chance. Because either the Jets will finish nine and seven. And they'll lose to the Jets in the last because they play the Jets the first and last game. So they'll come down to the last game of the season and they have to beat the Jets and they'll lose and not make the playoffs. Something like that will happen. It's so funny. We both have like the real football logic and then we filter it through our screwed up team. What will actually happen logic. So right. the real the the person that writes the Brown script in my head is saying what will happen to make this a typical screwed up Brown story would be because they have a new owner and they're going to have to make a decision on whether they're keeping the people that they currently have or not. If they lose like as much or more than they did last year, that makes that decision easy, right? You just get rid of all of them. It's like, right. okay, you're not getting better. If they win a ton and you keep them, give them another shot, right? Mm-hmm. The decision. If you win six, that's two better than last year with a lot of rookies. And that becomes a typical Brown situation of hemming and hawing for weeks of whether or not you keep these people or you don't keep them. And, you know, it just, that is the way it always works for us. It, nothing is ever easy. No decision is ever easy. No process is ever easy. And that fits the script perfectly. Just like as soon as I found out who Brandon Whedon was, the back like at the end of the last year's college football season and the fact that he was 28 years old 
<laughs> at that exact moment, I said, he will be the Browns quarterback. Because if you're writing the effed up script of the Browns, you say, of course they're the team that drafts the 29-year-old quarterback because that way he can return them to glory just in time for his retirement. You're a script uh, writer. You know what I'm talking about. That's oh, like the perfect yeah. tragic story of like they finally found their quarterback. And then just as they're about to, you know, finally, you know, make it to the Super Bowl, he's like at that point 35 years old and, and you know, takes yeah, a he hit, can't do it anymore. Takes a hit to the head and has to retire. And then the whole thing falls back apart again. Yep. Yep. And I obviously have irrational optimism thanks to their free agent signings and supposedly a good draft um, but they're starting a rookie at left tackle so there you go I mean I want this team to finish 12 and 4 I expect 8 and 8 that's that's the way it goes I did however uh, land a pair of custom Chuck Taylor Converse All-Stars in Buffalo Bills red white and blue that my wife got me for my birthday they will no doubt bring me incredible bad luck every time I wear them during, on game day. So you'll be constantly tripping. Yes. I'll probably have a broken foot at some point during the season. <laughs> that is enough for football corner on dig me out podcast. We should get to our album for this week. And it is another listener suggestion. We are banging out the listener suggestions. We promised we would, and we are. This one is by Norman Fraser, who has brought us several good listener suggestions. Since he did, once you get a good one in, we go, "Hey, this guy's got some good taste. Let's give him another, you know, uh, swing at the ba- swing at the plate, bat at the, what? Swing at the plate? Is that what I want to say? Another swing Why at not? the bat? Yeah, whatever. Uh, we are checking out a band called Send No Flowers and their album Juice. Jay, were you familiar with Send No Flowers? Hell no. Neither was I. So let's get into the history of the band. History of the band. Send No Flowers originally formed as Agent Orange in Plymouth, England in 1992. Uh, They changed their name because there was already a band called Agent Orange in the U.S. And... Since they wanted to play in the U.S. not as Agent Orange UK, they decided let's just change the name overall. The main lineup for the band, there were some changes. The basic lineup for the band is Matt Bradbury on vocals, Thomas Bowman, Broman, excuse me, Thomas Broman on drums, Dom Gearson on bass, and then Scott Leach on guitars and Steve Rendell on guitars. In 1995 and 1996, They released three EPs, as well as their only album, which is Juice. It was released on East West Records. They were shortly after the release of the album in 1996 dropped by East West Records. They then changed the band name to Shinola, and then shortly after that, broke up. And I have no information on what anybody did in this band after that. So we are listening to the Lone Album by Send No Flowers. There will be no Send No Flowers Part 2 podcast in the future. So we must dedicate an extra helping of attention to this particular album. The history of the band, of course, is brought to you by 
us, but if you'd like to sponsor, send an, uh, a donation to us via the digmeoutpodcast.com website or buy a t-shirt. So, Jay, we both admitted that uh, our football teams will undoubtedly disappoint us and that we've never heard of Send No Flowers prior to, rev- prior to reviewing this album. Uh, when I listen to this album, Jay... I'm going to set you up here. I'm going to put this on a tee for you. You can knock it out of the park. When I listened to this album, Jay, it reminded me of a recent band that we just reviewed, also from the UK, called Head Swim. (laughs) Yeah. Did you find there to be similarities to Head Swim in their channeling of early 90s alternative rock in the vein of Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains? Or was Send No Flowers uh, Juice the right taste for you. <laughs> it's kind of gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they are very similar. In fact, I was getting the two confused almost. Uh, wow. Yeah. That, uh, these bands like gig together or something like what's going on here. It sounds like they could have, they even have this, I mean, really the same kind of elements, same kind of singer. There might even be, um, I know there's some strings and other instrumentation mixed in here. That might even be keyboards um, going on. So, yeah, it's, it's really from the same blueprint. Yeah, a lot of um, not very original, you know, drop tuning riffs. Um, a lot of kind of sad bastard vo- uh, lyrics and vocals. <laughs> sad bastard vocals. I like that. You should patent that. It's all like over, overly dramatic and, you know, depressed. Uh, they do break through some choruses though that are pretty mm-hmm. cool. Unfortunately, uh, most of my notes here it takes them well over two minutes to get to that chorus. Yeah, I did notice that. They there's a couple songs where they're two and a half to three minutes to get to a chorus, and I'm like, guys, you're not writing progressive rock here. You got to get to the chorus a little bit faster if you're going to get on the rock radio. Cold track nine. Mm-hmm. has an excellent chorus like really good and it takes almost it's well over two minutes and 30 seconds to get to that chorus and up until that point it's just like this slow groany vocal and just really not nothing grabs you you know you're just kind of like the uh, there's some like percussion stuff it almost sounds toolish but without all the well, any interesting prog stuff going right. on, and then all of a sudden this chorus comes out of nowhere. You're like, "Holy crap! What is this? This is this this grabbed me."
And then they go on and meander around in this verse for a while, and then they bring it back again in the song. Um, I think they do the thing where a lot of these songs where uh, they skip the first chorus in terms of songwriting. Like you, you do the verse, and then there's like a break, and you go b- right back and do the second verse. And yeah. you don't do the chorus until the third time through, which is a major issue for them. Because <laughs> their verses are usually not strong enough to hold your attention that long. Well, just in general... I mean, this is an album that clocks in at just under an hour. And it's only 11 songs. There are two songs, uh, Fireman Track 4, which is 7 minutes and 55 seconds, and then Track 11, Animal Feeder, which is 8 minutes and 2 seconds, which are so bloated that it almost makes the rest of the... I mean, they're getting it takes two minutes and two minutes and 30 seconds to get to a chorus that's your entire song is two minutes and 30 seconds yeah you got to cut it down at some point most of these songs are over four and a half minutes Mm -hmm. which i i get it i understand you're you know you're doing some you're doing some artistic stuff with the the guitars and the and the interplay of the you know the two guitar players but like on a song like porcelain Mm mm-hmm it has this really big intro and it has these nice quiet verses, but they leave all these like empty spaces where they're just playing a, a kind of a stock guitar riff. It yeah. could have been in any grunge song, like you said, a dropped each riff. And it takes two minutes to get to the chorus. If they had cut out those little, you know, one and two measure long, nothing but just hitting a drop D riff over and over again, they could have gotten to the chorus in like a minute. And it could have been, instead of being a song that clocks in at five minutes and 26 seconds, you could be talking about a four, three and a half minute long song, which made it would have made it a lot more palatable. And I think that that's the yeah. thing that just kills it is that they just, they just repeat these riffs that, especially at the beginning of the songs, which aren't all that inventive. Yeah, that's a five and a half minute long song. It's by the way, it's probably my favorite on the record because it does have it at least has three parts that work. The problem right. is what you're saying, the way that they're constructed, and the other BS that's between them is unfortunate. So you end up with this long, sprawling five and a half minute version. You know, if you if you'd refine all that down, you would probably get some place that's, and I mean this is a compliment, it's probably a lot like Bush. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say what you will about that band, but they were able to take you know 
they were able to write pop rock songs that were pretty successful. Like they had a formula down there on how to take, you know, some pretty interesting melodies and things and combine them together and condense them down into three and a half minutes or so or three minutes and kind of get to the point and still have some edge and, and what have you. This band could, there's some opportunities there where they could have done something like that, but they just don't have the discipline. I don't know if there wasn't a producer involved or, or they were just enamored with playing and, and fun playing and not really paying attention. But that sounds a great example of the pieces that are there. Just cut it down, just get to the point and condense it down. Like even the, I don't mind that guitar riff that you're talking about in terms of like the sound of it is actually kind of cool because it's really crunchy and kind of cuts through. It almost becomes a hook, but it's just not, they don't find the spot for it and don't quite understand how to use it. And it's unfortunate. And I, I think the thing that's kind of gets lost is that they, they are doing some really interesting things on a lot of the songs. They just kind of get lost in the, repetitive repetitiveness of what's going on i think track five is a really cool example of speaking of repetitive repetitiveness track well, five is called monotony monotony yeah exactly but one <laughs> of the things they do that's really cool well two things that they do is they double the guitar riff with i don't know if it's a live string or if it's a yeah. synth string but that yeah. sounds really cool it and does, the other yeah. thing that they do is in the vocal of in the chorus vocal they do three different vocals at the same time in the left channel the right channel and the center there's a different vocal with a different melody and i've never heard that before at least not in the way that they're doing it thought it was really cool and inventive and like basically every time you hear it you're hearing something different based on what you're listening to i wish they'd done more of that the chorus has that cool counter there's a two vocal part going on in the chorus too yeah that's Um, yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah okay no yeah that song that's my second favorite song on the album actually Mm -hmm. i only starred two songs on the album and (laughs) porcelain and monotony for the two songs and yeah, I love that riff. Uh, I don't know if they're using strings or what they're using, but the combination of that and the guitar together sounds huge, which is really cool. And then it goes into this uh, kind of an unexpected shift in the chorus, in the pre-chorus, where the tempo shifts down. Yeah. It's up a little bit, and then they bring right back. They bring the momentum back into the second verse. and So it's got all that working for it. Um, unfortunately, it's still five minutes long. <laughs> uh you know, again, if they could get that edited down, it'd be a pretty good song. There are some other parts of songs that, that I dug, and there's some attempts at different things on different tracks. A track six, Candidate, 
they do a little bit they they dial it down it's a little more relaxed and they the melody and, huh they go into house and chains on plug mode kind of yeah <laughs> something off of the sap ep yeah. um but the the chorus melody gets a little more playful it's not the sad sack mm. angry man vocal it's a little bit it's there's a little bit more brightness to what to what he's singing there and then i did like I, I did like the first two tracks although they you could easily confuse them from with the head swim album yeah um now Which, when i was listening to this i was i was thinking this isn't as i i don't think it's as direct in playing its influences in the way that that Head Swim album was with Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. And I, what I heard was on Bitter Taste, track two, especially in the chorus, he sounds a lot like Richard Patrick from Filter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this line that he sings, uh, this just got impossible. Totally sounds like it would have been off of a Filter a song. So I kind of heard a little bit more of like the second generation of like those grunge and alternative bands in the in the from the mid '90s, even though I know that this band you know formed in in '92, but they kind of fit more with like that second rung of like Our Lady Peace and Candlebox. And, oh yeah, yeah. And those bands. I, I even had the, that song and one other. Boy, the chorus reminded me a lot of Creed. <laughs> Oh, are you talking about? Uh, I know it's. I know it's exactly what you're talking about because I wrote the same thing. Sepia. Yeah, the the, the big open power chords and mm-hmm. just the kind of low. The with arms wide open. Oh, arms yeah. wide open. They kind of sound vocal. Um, obviously, they were ahead of that, but yeah, that was kind of a turn off. Those those moments when they happened. Yeah, <laughs> they were prior to Creed, but retroactively. Yeah. Uh, to to use a Mitt Romney term, uh, retroactively, this song gets slammed for sounding like Creed. Um, so, what did you think of? What did you think of the song Eight Wrong? I thought it had this weird. I thought it started interesting, and it 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 mm-hmm. just starts. Yeah, which I liked which most, because which none of their other songs do. No, it was so nice to like. Oh, we're just getting right to the vocal right away. That's nice. Yeah. But then, like two minutes into the song, it has like this weird shift. Yeah. Where it goes into like this noisy, I don't know, descending riff thing that's going on, totally out yeah. of nowhere. There's a nice guitar solo on that track, which 
for a band that writes really long songs, you'd think there'd be more, I guess, some experimental soloing or something like that. But there really mm-hmm. isn't a lot of that on a, on too many of the songs. But this is one of the few that has like kind of a good guitar solo. And not that I need a guitar solo on every song, but if you're going to write an eight-minute-long song, for God's sakes, throw a yeah. solo in there somewhere for me. For God's sakes, give me some finger magic. Yeah. Tickle that fretboard. Tickle board. that fretboard a little bit. Yeah. Um, I thought the wrong sounded like uh, it was a If you turn up the tempo a little bit, the, those verses were very similar to SDP's Interstate Love Song. Um just that kind oh, of yeah. vibe to it. it kicks right in and it's just got that kind of like almost roots rootsy kind of I don't know how to describe it but just the melody of it and everything was very similar to me but you're right there's no chorus so no. You know, that SDP song's got a killer chorus this does not have one it goes to that descending guitar riff thing and goes from v- being very um, kind of bright and light sounding and the verses and kind of just being a fun kind of you know smile on your face pop song little bit of edge and then all of a sudden the chorus i don't know i guess they were just lost and it gets all angry again and just does nothing it's a huge huge buzzkill because that song was you know by that point in the album you're like man i need a i need a light moment here and that comes on it kicks right in with that vocal you're like oh that that's hooky that grabbed me let's see where this goes and it's like oh shit it doesn't go anywhere no it doesn't and that's (laughs) the thing that separates a band like this you know we're talking about you a uk band it's it's channeling early 90s grunge and alternative from a band like Bush, which figured out how to write the big choruses mm-hmm. and a melodic chorus while using basically that same template. Mm-hmm. Bush dialed down the song length and dialed up the melody, mm-hmm. and that's what made them successful. Same thing with the second generation grunge bands like Our Lady Peace, Candlebox, Filter, Sponge, not necessarily all grunge, but they all found the vocal melody in the same way that like STP did. Like you mentioned with interstate love song, like it has a killer chorus. That's what, that's why that band sold 10 million albums and why this band sold probably 10. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) they were big in the UK, but in the U S not so much. Yeah. I was, you know, from the beginning, I was nervous from that first song. I was hoping they were going to throw some curveballs at me, but overall they just never kind of delivered on bringing, bringing up something special to that sort of template that a lot of bands started using by the mid nineties. Sorry. I'm listening to the last track and it's got, again, it's got a really good chorus. It takes three minutes and 30 seconds to get to the, freaking chorus <laughs> yeah if that's the case just start with the chorus and go from there this is a band that clearly needed a producer yeah. whoever produced this album clearly was not in the role of producer for you know the band's sake they were doing it just to collect the paycheck and and get out of there because the, somebody should have said at some point look dude you can't have a song that starts a chorus three <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds in. The song's eight minutes long, too. And it doesn't have any, like, silence at the end. <laughs> Dream Theater doesn't do that. Dream Theater gets to their choruses faster than that. And there's a lot more interesting things that happen before that. Right. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not a chorus whore. I don't need a. I'm not cheap. I don't need cheap trick on every song. No, but for but, God's sake! Oh, but this band. It, I guess it should caveat, you know, bringing up Bush in the conversation here. I, I would suspect this band is trying to be com- somewhat commercial oriented, right? I mean, this they're not trying oh, to yeah. be tool or they're not doing like prog music or something. Their their commercial pursuits are ahead of their artistic pursuits for the most part. I think that's safe to say. So, you know, if you're going to go down that route, that's fine. Then you have to gauge success, you know. Uh, a little bit differently than you may with 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 some other bands, and absolutely for me, you know, you look at somebody like like Bush, like we brought up, or even Sponge, or any of those other bands you brought up, Candlebox, any of them, they do the same thing, but with a lot more focus and discipline, and sort of just it's more oriented around songwriting, you know. Yeah. So, so your rating for this album, Jay, are you at a album? EP or single remind you that a single can have an A side and a B side. <laughs> I'm at a single. I got two songs on here that that I, I think are are good enough all the way through. Um, there's some other bits and pieces of other songs that I like, but I just can't justify you know waiting two to three minutes to get to those parts. It's just not worth it. I'm at an EP. I like like I mentioned tracks uh, one and two, and then I also like uh, liked monotony which is ironic of course and track six candidate Mm. Uh, and like you said there are other songs that have really cool parts or great choruses it just takes so damn long to get to them that just zone out and lose interest yeah i mean for me uh, with a lot of these albums i think i brought up in the past is you know the if these songs come up again in my random play you know, am I gonna am I gonna listen to the song or am I gonna skip it? I mean, that's kind of the criteria at this point with <laughs> with the amount of music that that most people have, and I know that we have. Um, and for that reason, a lot of those songs, I will forget that the choruses were were good because you know, a minute and a half, two minutes in, I'll be so bored with it, I'll have to skip to something else. You know, so right, it's kind of where I'm coming from on, on that and having to be harsh on it. But I think there's two songs here where they they get to something fast enough that I'll stick with it and go through and, and remain through the whole song until it finishes and everything else that I can't say that for. And beyond the obvious ones that we've already mentioned um, throughout the episode, were there any other bands that if you're going to recommend this, although I don't think that you would necessarily, yeah. uh, you know, I, we mentioned our lady piece, Candlebox, filter sponge, Bush, don't tell the pilots. The bigger names, I don't, I can't think of a current band that would be of interest that or people would be listening to that would they would want to be interested in this. Um, Head Swim, if you're, if you're a big Head Swim fan, you'd probably dig this. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, there's nothing that I'm aware of that's recent. Well, very much, uh, you know, 10 years or older. Yeah. Well, that's about it from us on Send No Flowers and their album, Juice. We need to thank Norman Frazier for his suggestion. Uh, If you'd like to make a suggestion, of course, shoot us an email. Digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. And we will get to it sometime in the current decade. That's all we can promise. Uh, 
If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Uh, you know, drop us a few stars. Four would be nice. Five would be better. But you gotta, you gotta, you know, do what your heart says. We're not, we're not pressuring you. That's it. We will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.